Because James tells us, the book of James chapter 1 and verse 23 tells us that the Bible, the word of God is like, a, it should be like a mirror to us. You know, we all, before we probably got here, we looked in the mirror to make sure we were okay outwardly before we go out in public. But the word of God is likened to a mirror of what is taking place inwardly in our hearts. So let's read this morning, Luke chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Now it came to pass afterwards that he, Jesus, went through every city and village preaching and bringing glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward or Herod's officer, and Susanna, and many others who provided Jesus from their substance. For their substance. And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. Now, it says here afterwards. So, and now it came to pass afterwards. So, I want to look back real quick at what he's talking about here uh, as Luke gives us this account. And what Luke is describing here is what happened previously, right before he begins this sermon, uh, talking about uh, the soils or the seed of the Word of God. It says in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Luke writes about a dinner. He was invited to a dinner by Simon, who was a Pharisee. He was a very religious man. He wanted to know about Jesus. And as Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to dinner, there came an uninvited guest. And the Bible says a woman came uh, who was from that city, and the Pharisee described her as a sinner. And when she came, she saw, she heard Jesus was there. She heard his word. She heard he was there. It says that she came to Jesus and she washed his feet with her tears. And she anointed his feet with fragrant oil. And then she dried them with her hair. And at this point, Simon was upset with this woman. He kind of gasped. And the Bible says inwardly he was thinking. But you see, Jesus knew what he was thinking. And Jesus told him a story in Luke chapter 7, verse 41 through 43. And he says, as Simon was upset, Jesus said, Simon, a man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to another. But neither had the means to pay or repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling out their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus says, that's right. You see, her sins were many and she was forgiven. And she loved him. And she loved him. You see, the word sinner simply means missing the mark. Missing the mark of moral perfection. And here you have a very religious man who was very religious. He was a teacher. He was, you know, he wore the nicest clothes. He, you know, he preached. He did good works. And he looked down on this woman. And he called her a sinner. He didn't think of himself as a sinner. And what sin sin simply means is missing the mark. It's an archer's term for missing the bullseye. And the Bible tells us we all miss the mark. We all miss the mark of moral perfection. And on the day of judgment, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says that we're all going to stand before God on the day of judgment. And that's bad news. That's bad news. If we think we are going 
to heaven by our own righteousness. Because the Bible tells us to go to heaven, we need to be perfect. And how many of us here this morning are perfect? How many of you at home are perfect? None of us. We all miss the mark of moral perfection. We all fall short. That means we are all guilty and we are all sinners. That's bad news. But Jesus, it says here, went to all the villages speaking the good, good tidings. Or he was sharing the good news. Good news, you are sinners. But good news, the Savior is here to save you from your sins. He was here and she heard and she went to Jesus. You see, the Pharisee also heard about Jesus. He wanted to get to know Jesus, but he thought he was okay inwardly. But this woman knew she needed Jesus. She was desperate. She knew within her heart she needed the forgiveness of sin. She needed to touch Jesus. She needed the touch of Jesus in her life. You see, the word of God, it says here, ministers in every city. But notice whom he touched experienced transformation. And it was because of the preaching of the word of God, it changes lives. We turn on the news today and we see a bunch of bad news. And we have a lot of people who have ideas of how to make things better. How to make things better. But they're going to fail. They will fail. The good news, the bad news is on the TV. The good news is God came to save us from our sins. We're all going to stand before him on the day of judgment. It's appointed for man to die once, then the judgment. And I'm, on tr- I'm in trouble on the day of judgment. If I think I'm going to heaven by my works or I go to church or, you know, chalk up any other idea of how I'm going to heaven. We can only go to heaven as we realize we're sinners We need a Savior. We repent and put our faith and trust in Him. Salvation is a free gift. He does a work inwardly in our lives. So the solution for man's problem and man's greatest need is salvation. Why? Because it is appointed for every man to die once, then the judgment. 150,000 people die every 24 hours. That's 54 million A year, we don't know the day we go and stand before the Lord. But it's coming. It's coming to all of us. We all come and have remedies for a long life. But eventually, we are all going to face God on the day of judgment. But you see here, the preaching of the word saves lives. And it changes lives. And we notice here in the text that those who encountered Jesus personally had a personal impact and effect on their life. God does a work of his spirit inwardly, and then it's manifested outwardly. The woman in chapter 7 knew she was a sinner, but she heard of him who could set her free. And then what did Jesus say to her in verse 50? Of chapter 7. Woman, your sins are forgiven. Because that is our greatest need. Are my sins forgiven today? See, I can't see that outwardly. You couldn't see that in Simon the Pharisee. But it was an inward problem of the heart. You see, it manifested in this sinner woman by her lifestyle. But after she met Jesus... He said, woman, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. What was her faith in? Her faith wasn't in faith. It wasn't in religion. Her faith was in Jesus to touch her and to save her. He said, go in peace. He did a work inwardly within her life. So the byproduct of the Lord touching a person's life, we see it manifested here. First, it's the forgiveness of sins, but also we see it's a relief, it's a freedom, 
and a peace that Jesus will give you. Because when we're in sin, there is no peace. There is no freedom. You're in bondage. But when Jesus forgives a person of their sins, there's reconciliation. There's a work, a making things right between you and God. And that is in the heart. It begins with a personal, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ and your relationship with the Father. And here some in the text had experienced a supernatural deliverance. At this time, they were experiencing a big problem of spiritual bondage and oppression. We see here, Jesus says, Mary Magdalene, it it talks about Mary Magdalene in whom was cast out seven demons. And during the time of Christ, if you read the Gospels, you will see demon possession and oppression was running rampant during the time of Christ. The Messiah came and then all of a sudden, You see demon possession happening. And as we see the Lord coming, because I really believe this is the second coming is very close. I've noticed that so many people are getting into occult practices and they're opening up themselves over to oppression and demon possession. You know, I, you know, with some of these politicians and people who are, are influencers, I really think there is influence of demonic activity and even possession happening in our world today. But here in other counts that we see when it comes to demon possession or oppression, we see only Jesus is the remedy. You see, man can try to do different things, but man will fail with matters of spirituality and that which takes place in the heart. And he set them free. But also these whom he touched, experienced, as we read, they had a longing to be with him. And as Jesus has saved us, and as Jesus has touched our lives, we should have a desire like these to be with Jesus and to spend time with Jesus And even to be assistants, as we see them here, they were assistants in the Lord's ministry. They were with Jesus, and they they served with him. They made themselves available to Jesus, no matter how big or small the task. You see, they had a desire to give the Lord their hearts, because he touched them. They had a desire... To give them the, their time because they went out to all the cities. They were, he was preaching from city to city. And it says these 12 disciples were with him and many women. And they supported him in ministry. And they served the Lord out of their hearts. They gave him their hearts. They gave him their times. And it even says here they gave him their possessions. You see, again... Can I see myself in the text? Am I like those whom Jesus touched? Do I have a readiness to serve the Lord? And here too, look, they, they, they were married. They were people with high uh, employment status. But you see, these obstacles, uh, these were not obstacles in giving Jesus their absolute best. They gave the Lord their time. Their encounters with Jesus, these, both these men and women, they came together and they worked together to glorify God and for the good of their community, much like the church today. You know, I'm, I'm amazed, you know, uh, because people have touched, Lord has touched people's lives. People are serving in the, minist- in, in the children's ministry, in the ushers, in the sound ministry, the PowerPoint. You know, people, when you're not here come and clean they they vacuum the churches they clean the bathrooms and they serve in different various aspects of the lord's ministry why do they do this and why do they are they faithful to do these things without people noticing because they love jesus because somebody because jesus touched their life and it's and it's so beautiful that what we see in the scriptures we could actually see today it's beautiful 
Their experience with Jesus touched them so much that they loved being part of his ministry team. And that's what we see today in service. Can I see myself here in the text? Where am I when it comes to Jesus? Has he touched my life? But we need to pray as the Lord's people that we would both experience the Lord's touch on our life and that we would be like these in the text and that we would give the Lord our all and our absolute best. We need to pray this morning that the Lord would touch us in areas of our life inwardly because the Lord knows all things. He knows where to touch me. He knows what I need. He knows if I need forgiveness of sins. He knows if you're battling with some kind of vice in your life. He knows if you're going through spiritual oppression or depression or oppression or he knows if you're demon possessed. He knows. And he's the only remedy for those things. And he wants to touch your life. But we have to be willing to yield to Jesus and say, Lord, you know best, you see best, you see all things. Touch my heart. And then we will see the transformation that we need. But like I said, where are you? Where are you this morning? Are you experiencing Jesus' touch? Like one of these who are mentioned here in the text? You see, everything we read and everything we see in Scripture has to do what's going on in the inside of us, what's going on in the inside of our hearts this morning and that morning that they were there with Jesus. What matters what's going on in the heart. You see, a lot of people go to church for different reasons. Many people go because of the size of the congregation or, or the excitement happening over at, at that church or this church. Or they go to a certain church because of the worship ministry or what's happening in the youth ministry. Or they have a great young adults ministry or some kind of ministry that they're looking for to meet some certain kind of need. And some even go to church because of the charisma of the pastor or the, the stories he tells. Well, here we see Jesus in a big crowd of people. But what matters most here in the text we see is where the word of God is falling on the individual's heart of those who are listening in the audience that morning as well as this morning verse 4 says here and a great multitude again jesus was there and a great multitude when they had come to him out of every city he spoke a parable to him so there was a audience it was a big crowd they had the greatest preacher and teacher and pastor ever known to man and here the Bible says many people were gathered in the audience as Jesus personally spoke and as they came to him out of every city. And the Greek word here indicates that as they came, it was an overwhelming number of people who gathered. This word implies that this was no small picnic. It was a, a abnormal, just massive group of people. And so Jesus seeing the people Let's read verses 5 through 10. And Jesus teaches those in the audience as you're, you are here this morning. As he's teaching. He says, a sower went out to sow seed. And as he sowed some seed, some fell by the wayside. And it was trampled down. And the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on a rock. And as soon as it sprung up, it withered away. Because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, Jesus cried out and he said, He who has ears, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, 
To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So what a parable means, or what, it, what he means here is, he, they're hearing these words, but not understanding the words. And the, the reason in this parable is to show the condition of their hearts. The reason why they're not listening or we're not listening this morning is because there's something wrong in our hearts. That's why we need to pray. As Jesus said, give them ears to hear. This morning we need to have ears to hear. But notice here the disciples asking a good question. It's always good to ask questions. And they said, what, is this, what does this parable mean? And Jesus proceeds to get deeper. And he says in verse 11 through 15, and Jesus said, Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. Least they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Verse 14. Now the one that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Now, a parable is a story that's used as a comparison to help the listener evaluate a point by using something similar to make the understanding clear. And Jesus makes it clear here. He says, the seed is the word of God. That's what it is. The seed is the word of God. What you're hearing is the seed. It's the word of God. He who delivers the seed is the sower, the preacher. Jesus, I'm like I'm this morning, I'm sowing the seed. The seed is the word. The sower is the preacher. Now, verse 12 tells us that the word of God falls, the seed falls on the audience's heart. Okay, your heart is the soil this morning. That's what Jesus is saying. Let's take a look at the first condition here where the seed falls. And Jesus calls it the wayside. And so the wayside condition of the heart. And let me let me make something clear. My heart has been in all of these spaces. I've I've been here. I've been with a, a wayward heart. The wayward condition of the heart are those who were in attendance that day when Jesus was preaching. They're in churches today, this morning, and even watching from home or on the internet. They hear the word of God, and immediately the word of God here says, it is is, uh, trodden down. The New King James says, trampled underfoot. Jesus here is speaking figuratively. And the word meaning here is, it's, it's like something under your feet. It lacks uh, a worthy place in their lives. And it's trodden underfoot from neglect or a lack of care from the word of God. And as the re- if my condition of the heart is like that, I'm sitting in church and I'm listening to the word of God and it's really not important to me. It's like under my feet. It's downtrodden. And Jesus says, immediately the devil comes in, devours and steals that which is intended to save you because there are people sitting in churches that are not saved. 
And if the Lord would come on this day, they would spend all eternity in hell. And Jesus is warning of the condition of the wayward heart. Don't be robbed of what God intends for you. We need to pray for our hearts. That we don't have a neglect for or a lack of the word of God being applied to our lives. The result is that the enemy will come in and rob and kill and destroy you. It's just a matter of time. What here God intends to save you, to instruct you, and to bless you for eternity. But those of, of a wayward condition of the heart, they sadly sit in the sanctuary or outside or on the internet. They're part of the crowd. And Jesus said, they hear, they're listening, but they're not saved from the judgment and the wrath to come. We got to ask ourselves our, this question, where am I? I got to ask, you got to ask yourself the question, do you see yourself in the text? Is this you this morning? You know, I remember I had an experience in 1979 and the Lord ministered to my heart, but I, I, I recognized my heart was like this. I remember in the 80s with, in, with Pastor Rawl teaching. You know, me and my girlfriend used to go to church and you know, I'd go to church and I'd listen to Raw, and all of a sudden, you know, I'd leave and I'd be doing the same thing I was doing. It, it really, the Word of God really wasn't important to me. I'd just go show up to church. Didn't have a, Jesus wasn't touching my life. Because I really didn't care about what was taking place inwardly. You see, I was hearing, but I was not saved. Ask yourself that question. Is this me this morning? Is it you? But look at the second condition of the heart that Jesus addresses here. The rocky condition of the heart. And this heart represents those individuals in attendance that day as well as in churches and watching at home or watching outside. That they hear the word of God. It says, and in verse 6, it says, they hear it, they hear the word of God, and with joy, they receive it. There, there's some kind of emotional attachment. They, they, they feel good about what they've heard. They hear, and it says, they spring up, showing that there's some, kind, there's some growth, there's some potential, there's some zeal. You know, a quick growth speaks of zeal and passion, which are good. And some people go to church and they have an emotional experience with the Lord and they spring up right away and they get excited and they have a fresh zeal and a passion to serve the Lord or to get involved. But they never stay long enough to let their roots grow deep. And here in the text, it talks about moisture because we need moisture for growing. Spiritually. And in the Bible, moisture is, or water is likened into the Word of God in my life. You see, we're not going to grow deep roots spiritually if I'm not reading the Word every, every day. The Christian needs three things. Very, it's very simple, the Christian life. I need to be in the Word. I need to be in fellowship. Fellowship meaning in church, being taught, praying and applying the word of God to my life and prayer. Pray for all those things. I'm feeling, I'm difficulties, all these things. I need to pray. You see, the Christian life's like a three-legged stool. You know, you're sitting on a stool. It has three legs and you have prayer, fellowship and, and the word of God. You take one of those out and eventually you're going to fall. How do I know? Again, I, I, remember, I mentioned in 1979, I had an experience with the Lord in my church. 
And I accepted the Lord that day. And one of my, my brothers that's here this morning, his sister was right next, next to me, and, and I witnessed the work of God in my life. And, and God did a work in my life, and I started praying for people and preaching the gospel. But I lacked the Word of God in my life. I started hanging out with people I probably shouldn't be hanging out with. And I was being influenced. And eventually, and I was coming, going to church, and then eventually things became more important. And I drifted away. And I drifted away for for 14 years, backslidden. But the Word of God, the moisture speaks to the Christian as Psalms chapter 1 and verse 3 describes the believer's life should be like were trees planted by the river bank that gets its nourishment so that we could bear fruit in each season or we could even get through seasons. Because the Christian life comes with difficult seasons. All kinds of seasons, you know, we like the summer or we like winter, but we need all the seasons to grow. And sometimes there are seasons of difficulties. There's seasons of trials. There's seasons of, of, of hard uh, times. We see this in Jesus' life. We also see this in the apostles' lives. But the word of God to the believer is like water that will nourish him, that will cause him to grow and strength and produce fruit in a season. And the Bible says, and its leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does, it shall prosper. Man, that's where I want to be. But sadly, over the last 28 years in ministry, you know, I've seen a lot of people get excited for the Lord, have this emotional experience with the Lord, and it happens. And, and you know, they want, they, they're excited. They have zeal. They have passion. But a lot of times they want to get things done their way on their timetable. But when things don't go the way they want or things get difficult, they lose heart. They dry up. I've seen many times where people start to criticize. They dry up with bitterness. They fall away. And, and sometimes when you're excited for the Lord and God's doing a work in you, and then you, you, you decide like, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to leave this place. And I've seen it happen many times where people say, Hey, I'm going to leave. I'm not going to church no more. Oh, somebody's bothering me. And I've seen them leave, and they leave for the wrong reasons, and they fall away. And they take others with them. Sadly, they give up. They never develop roots. They get sidetracked from the growth and you know what, when you're growing as a Christian, there are going to be growth pains. There's going to be hard times. And through those hard times, when you're close to the Lord and depending on the work of your whole, the Holy Spirit, He will cause you to grow in your spiritual life. And a lot of times the difficulties that you go through in ministry and in life are so that God will get you through so that you could be a minister to somebody going through the same thing later on in life. But a lot of people don't want to develop the, their roots deep with God during those difficult seasons in life and ministry. You know, I, me too. I remember, you know, wanting to leave church, this church. I wanted to leave. I didn't feel like I was being used. And I remember walking down the, where the seating is there outside, where everyone's seating. I was walking right there. And I was like, oh, woe is me. You know, they're not using me. I'm not being used. I'm not being where I should, you know, me, 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 me. And, and God ministered to me and he said, are you here for them? Or are you here for me? And I said, Lord, I'm here for you. And he says, and he ministered to my heart and I'm glad I didn't leave. I'm glad I didn't leave. And I got to see God work in hearts, in my heart. Minister to relationships and through difficulties that we were going through at that time. I'm glad I didn't leave. 
I'm glad, I'm glad I didn't get bitter and fall away and take others with me because a lot of people do that. They're never wanting to wait it out or hang, at, hang out and see what God is doing inwardly and, and in time within the heart. And sadly, through many various temptations and difficulties, Jesus here says many shrivel away or they wither away according to verse 6. They lose their spark for God. They lose their zeal for God. They lose their passion and their, fr- their freshness that they once had. But they never experience the growth of becoming spiritually mature as God intended. As Jesus says, there's no fruit to maturity. I'm still growing. There's still going to be hard times in Christ- the Christian life. It isn't easy. But if we allow bitterness and trials and difficulties and peoples and hard seasons, to get to us, to get us where we should be at time of spending time in the Word and growing deep roots, as Jesus even talked about a foundation. You know, when the winds come and it blows on the house and it didn't fall, why? Because it had a good foundation. And the same thing is with Christian roots. We're going to have difficulties. We're going to experience abrasion from people, believers. Why? They're not perfect. Jesus did experience difficulties in ministry. The apostles did. But their roots are in Jesus. And here in verse 13, it says, They hear the word of God and they received it with joy, but having no root, for which for a while they believed. And here's the problem. Temptation. They fell away. Are you being tempted this morning? Because to be honest with you, we all have temptations. We all have temptations. If, you, if you're not being tempted, I don't think you're alive. Or you're deceived. Or you're deceiving yourself. We all have temptations. Those temptations could cause us to fall away. Where are you this morning? Do you see yourself in the text? Ask yourself the question, is this me? Is this my heart? Because only you and God can see what's in the heart. I can't see it. See, I couldn't see what's on the Pharisee's heart. I couldn't see his, his heart, what was taking place. Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew his thoughts like he does this morning. He knows our hearts. He knows the condition. And you, we could see, am I, am I this person in the text? Where are you? Is this you? Is this me? I admit, this was me once. But the third condition of the heart is those who dwell amongst the thorns. Those individuals in attendance today, as in Jesus' day, in churches today all over, outside, here in the sanctuary, and those at home. The dwellers amongst the thorns. You see, it's, it's not an outward thing, it's an inward thing. Jesus knows where you're at. Jesus said they sprang up. So there is some level of growth there. There's a springing up. But the weeds are also growing up alongside them. Or the, the thorns are growing up alongside them. And I really believe this is a dangerous place to be in the place of the heart. As we see, they grow up with the weeds. And eventually, it's it's an unforeseen time that will take place where these weeds will start choking you. Suffocation. It'll bring you to a place spiritually where you're deprived of the oxygen you need 
And the result will be unconsciousness spiritually. In other words, you'll be here, but you won't be here. You'll be sitting in there, but you're not listening. You're not taking it to heart. You're spiritually unconscious, which will lead to death eventually. So the weeds here, Jesus is speaking figuratively. And he's making a point. But you see, notice these weeds here in the text. They're not bad things. What does he say these weeds are? He says the cares of life, cares, riches, and pleasure. Right? Cares, riches, and pleasure. Those are good things in the right context in your life. Surely the Lord didn't want us to live carelessly, right? The Bible tells us that we're to cast our cares on the Lord because He cares for us, right? The Lord didn't want us to live live in poverty. He teaches us, the Word of God teaches us to be good stewards of our finances and work hard and glorify God in whatever we do. We're to take care of our families. Provide for them. We see this in Scripture. Enjoyment, we are to enjoy things. Here we have an amazing Bible. In the second chapter alone, it tell, God tells us how to have a good and healthy relationship for pleasure. But the problem comes when the things I care about become my God. Influencing my decisions. My cares, my pursuit for riches can become the main passion in my life and take the place of God. I've seen it. I've seen people in ministry who love the Lord and pray and, you know, be in the pray, you know, be with us in prayer for many years and tell me, hey, I'm, I'm going I'm to go to school. Um, you know, but I have a Sunday class. And then they, they start going to school. Then, you know, we start seeing them less. And their education became more than important than God. Their education became their God. Their pursuit became their God. Whatever that you care for can be your God. Whether it, and, it, and I've seen it in relationships too. Where a young man or a young woman fall in love with this person and, and all of a sudden in the relationship they, they, they get uh, together and the, then the relationship becomes more important than the relationship with God and we don't see them no more. What started off as a good thing has taken the place of God. And I've been here personally. I've let things take the place of God in my life. Or how about enjoyment and pleasures? You see, God has given us enjoyment and pleasures. But our enjoyment and our pleasures could become perverted beyond what is permissible in God's sight. And you know what? That is a big trouble. That leads to big trouble. And I really believe that the enemy is really doing a work in these last days. You know, it's just amazing how wicked this world is getting where even is in kindergarten, they want to teach such perverted things to our children. We live in a perverted world where, where we think things are bad today. You know, looking back 20 years ago, I think things were bad. Five years ago, things were bad. This year, man, things are bad. Hey, you ain't seen nothing yet. So if it's outwardly gross and pleasure is so distorted, 
what's next? And what's going on here is manifested outwardly. What, what do you imagine the temptations and the evil that is coming? We haven't seen nothing yet. But actually, the Bible does tell us what's going to happen. We see it, read the book of Leviticus. Anything goes. We're headed that way. When things get to, when I got to enjoy myself beyond what God has intended for me for good, it only lasts for a while. You see, what God intends us to be fruitful and blessed in relationships and pleasures, whatever it might be, if it starts to become perverted, we need to be careful because it's a kind of suffocation that will slowly creep in. And it's a matter of time before it becomes deadly. I really believe that if we put ourselves in a vulnerable position outside of the boundaries of safety that God has provided for us, man, we're in trouble. Just a matter of time. As Christians, we need a cultivation Tilling, you know, me and my wife have been planting grass. You know, when we started doing construction on our home, we started planting. We had this little piece of grass uh, in the front yard, and then we we had a lot of concrete done. And I had about sixty feet of of land from my house to the front uh, curb, and we had this little piece of grass. So we've been watering it; it's growing, and so we have this other area just barren, like thirty feet. And the grass started to grow. And so I, I thought, hey, you know, let, let's plant some grass. So I started, you know, cutting out the St. Augustine that I have. is growing really nice. And so I started uh, making plugs over there in the front. I started tilling the soil and getting the soil right. And it started planting. So me and Angelica, then we put uh, um, sprinklers in, you know, did all that. Uh, took all the rocks out of there, you know, the stony places. We took all the rocks out. Uh, and then we started watering it. And it, this beautiful grass, these little spots of grass, just overnight, something sprang up. This grass that just grew right in the middle of it, entangling it and just gripping it. And then areas in, in our land that's barren, that ha doesn't have anything, like overnight, we water it and then, Overnight, these little sprouts come up. And it's been like two days or three days since me and Angelica have been out there. And this morning, the little sprouts are up there again. The little weeds. The little thorns coming up. And, you know, it's been a battle for about three weeks. Me and Angelica will be out there. We're pulling the weeds. It's, it's, it keeps going and going and going. And my, one of my brothers said, hey, they have weed killer for that. But uh, we're doing it the hard way, old-fashioned way. But, uh, you, know, you know, even as we were digging and we were cleaning out all, these, all this old grass, I found this little pieces of dead grass down there. And, you know, I, I figured it's no big deal. But th that's where those little sprouts are, are growing from that, that which is dead. And it, I don't want these in there. So it's, it's an on, onward battle of cultivating and tilling out the weeds in our life. And as Christians, we need to do this. You know, there, there are thoughts. There are things, temptations in my life. Like weeds, they just grow up in the Christian life. You know, 28 years in ministry. Hey, I'm still getting tempted. I still got to pull these things. Where did that come from? I'm thinking, where did that thought come from? Man, Lord, man. That's wicked. And it's just springing up from this dead world. This dead flesh. Wanting to soil what God wanted to bless me with. Want to entangle and want to eventually choke out what God wants to bless you. So as Christians, we need to always have that weeding or tilling of our hearts by the Lord. Lord... When you see something spring up in a thought 
or an attitude, you need to take it. You, you see that inward problem? You need to say, Lord, take, Lord, help me with this area of my life. And a lot of us go through life thinking we're okay like Simon the Pharisee. But remember the woman, she realized her need. She realized she was a sinner. She realizes this is the, the one who could touch my heart and help me. And the Christian with temptation, eventually, if we keep playing with it, it's going to get us. Because we're putting ourselves in a vulnerable position. We think we got control of things. But here Jesus says it grows no fruit to maturity. So we need to pray for individual heart check. Okay, we need the Word of God, prayer, fellowship, but heart check. I need to check my heart. Because a lot of times we're like, oh man, I can't believe what they're doing. Check your heart. Because we could get caught up in stuff that really doesn't matter. Or we could pervert things that God, how God wants to bless us, and we could, it could become corrupt because of what we allow here and in our hearts. We need to take an inward look. We see the world bad, but we see us as good. But the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? God. He knows my heart. He knows that, that there needs to be a work of His Spirit in my heart. I need Him. So as we look inwardly and we pray that we, are we these, in, like these in t- attendees? Are we neglecting the Word in my life? Because it says they lack moisture or and, and then it said they, they're planting themselves near thorns. Are you, are you a Christian, but you're, you're hanging to be so much like the world? Eventually, it's going to get you. It's just a matter of time. But pray that we would grow deep roots and that we are, are moistened by the water of the Word and that we become fruitful. And we should pray. Lord, help us. Lord, help me in my difficulties. Lord, help me to overcome the onslaught of many different temptations that the world throws to me daily. Because it does tempt you daily. We should pray, Lord, may we hear. Lord, may we be well balanced. Lord, may we be caring, hardworking, and enjoying the pleasures on your terms, Lord. Help me. Help me to and direct me and give me guidance and provide for me those things I need. And, and you know what? He will minister to you whatever your need is this morning. But lastly here, the Lord gives us a picture of where we should desire to be. As the Lord says, another seed fell on good ground and it sprang up and it bore fruit a hundredfold. And the Lord here cries to his audience. The sower cries to his audience. But are we hearing? Do we see ourselves in the text? You see, we, we could be in good ground. We could think we got it all right together. But again, temptation could come. We got to always be in the Word, we, we want to be fruitful, but we also need that daily pruning in our life. Lord, cut away certain things. You know, I have a, a beautiful orange navel tree that was part of the orange grove in Azusa. It, it's, it's a huge tree, and it was there during the orchards. How do I know? Because I look out my backyard, and I see a row of trees along my neighbor's line, and it's, it's a huge orange tree, and it gives these... Uh, seedless navel orange is so beautiful and they they come but there's on there but every year it just seems i have to cut away the dead branches and i cut away the dead branches and and i throw them in the fire 
And that's what's going to happen. That should happen in my life. There should be some pruning in my life and some throwing away of certain things that are not, that are dead. And sometimes there's sprouts. I see sprouts on my trees. And these sprouts, I think they're taking all the nourishment away from all the fruit. And I cut off the sprouts. I hope I'm doing right by doing that because they're not producing fruit. There's things in my life that are not producing fruit. They seem green. But as James says to the believers who look at the Word of God like, should look like, look at the Word of God like a mirror, he says, be doers of the Word. In other words, don't listen, just listen to the Word, do it. Do it. And not hearers only. Why? Because if we're only hearing and we're not doing, James says we're deceiving ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. It's like he who hears the word of God and doesn't do it is like a man who looks into a mirror and sees the truth about himself. Because this morning we see the truth about ourselves because Jesus is talking about us this morning. The condition of our heart. James says it's like a man who sees the truth about himself and as soon as he sees it, he forgets what he saw. And Jesus says, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. And that should be our prayer this morning. Lord, you know what's in my heart. Father, you know my greatest need. And if you're here this morning, your greatest need is salvation. You're listening on the internet, your greatest need is salvation. You're out on the walkway there. Your greatest need is salvation if you're not saved. You simply need to realize you're a sinner and you need a Savior. Because no one's pointed, no one's promised tomorrow and everyone is appointed to die. Then the judgment comes. That's your greatest need. But you see, Christian, you too need a cultivate a, a work of the Spirit in your life. Where are you this morning in the text? See, the Lord laid it out. The sower sowed the seed, but it falls on the heart. So where is your heart this morning? Pray that it would fall on good ground. And if it isn't, if your heart isn't right this morning, pray, Lord, forgive me like this woman. Be at his feet. Ask him to touch you this morning. Call out to him. Wait for him. Let him do a work of his spirit in you. Because he's coming back. And we want to be ready. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you for the seed of the word of God. Lord, we pray for our hearts. Father, we pray for the audience who's listening. Father, that this morning we would examine our hearts, each one individually. That you, through the work of your Holy Spirit, would convict us of sin and of the pending judgment and of righteousness where we stand with you this morning. Father, we pray, Lord, those who need to repent and ask for forgiveness, Lord, right where they are. They would simply say, Father, forgive me of my sin. I've sinned against you and against heaven. I admit I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Forgive me. Cleanse me and wash me. Touch my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I may become born again, brand new, and be an heir of eternal life. 
And Father, we pray for the believer's heart this morning. Father, many of us are in different areas, experiencing different things. Father, we thank you that you're able to minister to each person individually, Lord. And you desire to have a personal relationship with each individual, and you desire to heal and to touch them individually. We pray, Lord, that this morning that we would be touched by the hand of Christ. That we would be touched by the work of your Holy Spirit this morning. Father, that you would cause us to have a hunger and a thirst for your word. That we would be well nourished, Lord. That there would be good ground, Lord. That we would remove the rocks, Lord. We would remove the thorns from our lives, Lord. That we wouldn't be comfortable, Lord, in the world. Father, I pray, Lord, that any of these here or at home, or those listening, Lord, who are succumbing to their temptations, Lord, that pray, pray, Lord, that they would repent this right now, Lord, that they would turn and that you would heal them, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would give us victory over the flesh and of the devil. Father, we pray, Lord, that your word of God would transform us and restore us, Lord. Father, that we would be about your business, Lord, that we would be those who love you, those who serve you, and those who give you our absolute best, Lord. So, Father, we're praying for a continued work, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.